So this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. So go ahead and turn with me to Matthew Matthew chapter 5. And as I often do, I have an illustration that I want to read. Actually, it's something out of popular science, which some of you will find very interesting. This is very relevant for all the uh, sci-fi people out there. Tractor beams, short for attractor beams, which can bring one object closer to another from across a distance, are a common trope in science fiction. You guys all know what I'm talking about when I talk about tractor beams, think Star Wars and the Millennial Falcon being brought into the Death Star. No, okay. All right. Uh, But could they be made in real life? Could a tractor beam actually be something real? Researchers made news earlier this year, this is back in 2014, when they created a kind of tractor beam or optical tweezers that can move around nano-sized objects with light. NASA scientists are also working on a project to reel in objects with light. Australian researchers have actually moved small objects a total of five feet with lasers. Most of this work has involved light, but now a separate group has made an acoustic uh, tractor beam that can move much larger objects with sound waves. You guys still with me? All right. The device consists of about a thousand ultrasound emitters placed underwater. When turned on, scientists used it to tug along uh, uh, centimeter-sized objects, roughly objects about a half an inch in diameter, such as a small hollow triangular shape. Normally, the effect of sending acoustic beams at something would tend to push it away. But the uh, scientists found that by uh, precisely controlling the angle of sound waves, they can create a low-pressure zone in front of the object, thus pulling it closer. The technology has some limitations. It couldn't be used in space since, as you probably know, sound cannot travel in a vacuum. You all should know that if you've watched science fiction because, as it says, in space no one can hear you scream from the movie Alien. All right? So, a little bit of science there or science fiction. Uh, A tractor beam... I still can picture the Millennial Falcon being constantly grabbed by some tractor beam uh, from the Star Wars movies, uh, being brought into something else. Now, uh, this morning, what I want us to talk about from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, is the fact that that our lives as followers of Messiah Yeshua will do one of two things. Our lives as followers of Messiah Yeshua will do one of two things. We will either draw people, like a tractor beam, toward God and toward faith in Yeshua, or we will repulse them from that same faith. Our lives will do one of two things. We are either going to draw people into, toward a, an interest in or a greater understanding of Messiah Yeshua by the way we are living our lives, or we will repulse them by our actions. Hypocrisy is a huge issue in the religious community. I was talking to a religious leader this week, uh, uh, actually two different religious leaders. One was within our union of Messianic and Jewish congregations. The other was a Lutheran pastor from the area, and we, we were talking. Religious leaders are often perceived, unfortunately, as, as not being consistent 
in the way they live their lives with what they say. Now, all of us are hypocritical in some way. If you look at your life and you say, I'm no hypocrite, then you're probably not scratching deep enough in the surface of your life. There are always things we don't do consistently as followers of Messiah Yeshua. There are always disconnects because we just were living life as people. But if we as people that profess faith in Yeshua have glaring inconsistencies that we are not being honest about, if we are portraying something that's not really accurate about us, it will, it will be apparent to the people that are looking at us. And they will definitely be repelled by what we say we believe. And that means that they will be repelled by our Yeshua faith. And we need this morning to talk about this and to look at it in terms of what we see from Yeshua's own words. So we're going to take just a little bit of time uh, this section, the whole section of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is Yeshua's talk on a hill. Some people call it the Sermon on the Mount, but I've been to Israel. These are hills. They're not mountains. All right? And so I like to refer to it differently. Okay. So Matthew chapter 5, page 910. 910. Go ahead and take a look at the text with me. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16. And we're going to begin with verses 1 through 12. He says, Now when Yeshua saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. So here we have a scene, very common scene in the first century. Religious leaders would would teach in a variety of places. All right? They would teach in buildings, out of buildings. But a lot of them would just teach where there was a crowd. All right? And so Yeshua Yeshua is doing here what's very common. He goes, he sits, which is just, you know, uh, an indication that he's found a place that he wants to teach from. And the people are around him while he teaches. And it says his disciples. This may or may not mean the 12. It's probably more of an inclusive term to the people that are around him who are really listening. They want to understand. They've been with him for some time. So this is not Yeshua talking to a bunch of people who are antagonistic to him. These are people that are interested in hearing what he has to say. All right? Hopefully this morning you are here interested in knowing what Yeshua is going to say. Your hearts are open to learn. You're attentive to understand what these words are. And it says in verse 2, And he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We have here an amazing text, which I really just want to utilize to focus on this concept, this understanding of godly characteristics. What Yeshua is giving here, I believe, are ideal godly characteristics. People speak of them as characteristics of the the, uh, citizens of the kingdom. There's all different ways we can look at it. But for our context this morning... 
The best way to understand this is these are characteristics, values. Uh, these are uh, actions. These are attitudes that should be ours. These statements should reflect the way we are living life, the way we are approaching life, whether it's in the things that we do or the attitude that we have. And so we're going to begin with the very first one. Oh, before I forget, though, also, when it says, blessed are the poor, really the best way of understanding this is the Hebrew word ashrei, happy are, happy are. Uh, in the Israeli translation of this, it's ashrei, ashrei. Happy is the one who is poor in their ruach, all right, in their spirit. And so the word happy is, I think, a better way of understanding. Blessed, we understand blessed in a, in a religious sense, but, but if you use the word happy, I think that it, it really, in our context again, I think touches a little bit more where we at and we can more easily relate to it. So let's, uh, let's begin with the very first one in verse 3 where it says, happy are the poor in spirit. All right? Literally, that's what it means. Happy are those who have a, a, uh, um, uh, a lowly spirit about them for they will be, for theirs is the kingdom of God, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, I think that the best way to understand this is the people who understand their inability to please God on their own. Uh, there's a group in the, uh, uh, and it's, it's hard to know if they're like heretical or not, but in the uh, second century, there was a group known as the Ebionites. And the Ebionites were are kind of a mysterious group, but they were known for their lowliness. Their, their desire to, uh, I mean, you could almost call them in a, modern, in a modern sense, the minimalists, okay? They were known for their poverty, their asceticism. To be lowly is, uh, I think, to understand one in regards to their position to who God is. We serve a great and awesome God and King. Do we understand, do we understand really what that means when we compare ourselves to who God is? You know, Shaul speaks of, uh, of himself, and he calls himself the chief of sinners. And I don't think it's rhetoric. I think what he, in essence, does is he recognizes the tremendous gulf that exists between him and God, and yet God has crossed that gulf in the person of Messiah, Yeshua. He is rich in, in Yeshua, but he is poor in himself. But Yeshua's promise to them is, to yours is the kingdom of heaven. I am nothing in and of myself. But God, because of my faith in Yeshua, has made me a citizen of Messiah's kingdom. Do you consider yourself to be something? Do you have a problem with pride and arrogancy? We need to understand ourselves as poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Humble before God, even though it's also in here. But to be poor in spirit, to realize that in ourselves we're nothing, but in Messiah we are everything. When it speaks there of being happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. I think he's speaking here of the people who recognize their needs. Recognize their needs. And I'm not talking about you know, your need for a new video game. Uh, or your need for a nicer car, or a bigger house, or you know, a tripling or quadrupling of your retirement, okay? I, I think what we're talking about here, recognizing our true needs, which are the intangibles of life. 
You know, security, uh, hope, you know, our, our daily bread. And to realize that God is the one who meets our needs. And that we need to trust in him and in him alone. To mourn is, is I think, to recognize again that God is the one who provides for all that we have. And to really trust in him. The meek, it says, happy are the meek. The people who are humble and have a proper perspective on their lives. You notice these characteristics are kind of deep. They're deep. They're, they're, they're thought-provoking. Uh, you, may not, uh, uh, you may not be a, a particularly boastful person, but are you really a meek person? Do you have a proper perspective when it comes to your life, the values of your life, the, t- the way you use your life and the resources of your life? Do you really recognize that everything you have and everything you are comes from God? Again, it's Mother's Day tomorrow. Do we really understand the fact that, that everything we have really is a gift from God? That it's not because we ourselves have done. It's because God provided us, first of all, with a healthy body, if we have a healthy body. And that God has, through his love and kindness, allowed us to sustain that healthiness. I was at a, uh, speaking someplace and went, uh, went to a restaurant to eat something, and I'm eating there, and I'm looking across the way, and I see a guy that I haven't seen in 10 years. And uh, he's probably about 60 years of age, something like that. And when last time I saw him, strong man, He's a farmer, but he's a businessman. He's not just like a few hundred acres farmer, thousands of acres type farmer, massive enterprise, brilliant man. He used to be able to get up and teach. He was an elder in a community. And I looked across the way and I saw a man debilitated by stroke. So I figured out who he was and I went over there and talked to him and his wife and I said, what happened? He said, I I suffered a stroke. Just... Like that. It happened, you know, when he was in his early 50s. I mean, think about it. Do you really understand and appreciate that you, are, you, you don't have as much control as you think you do? We are often in our society of the opinion that we can do always. But we need to have a meekness about ourselves. We truly need to be humble. We need to have a proper perspective. There's very little we can control in our lives. And we need to be meek and understand that really our lives are there for God's purposes and God's purposes alone. I met with another fellow this week who was involved in ministry and he he suffered a a major heart condition. He was involved in youth work and he suffered a major heart condition and, uh, and he couldn't do much anymore. And yet he's continued to serve God because he understands his role isn't to do what he wants, but it's to do what God wants him to do. And sometimes that means we have to adjust our expectations to do what God wants us to do. Even think about it. The man has a tremendous ministry just encouraging people and mentoring people, but he has to do it in a very careful way because he doesn't have his, his physical resource like he used to. And for this individual, it says, they shall inherit the earth. You know, we have a guy running for Congress, or sorry, a guy running for the presidency, who, whether you vote for him or not, doesn't matter. But the man is one of the most boisterous people I've ever known, okay? And he thinks he will inherit the earth, okay? No, it's the meek that will inherit the earth. 
those who humbly know their position before God have a proper perspective on their life, those people the Lord will bless with inheritance. Verse 6, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who have a strong, ongoing desire for personal holiness. Do you have a strong desire for personal holiness? That's a hard one in our society. I was talking with somebody. It's been a busy week. I was talking with a parent. And, um, and they were talking about TV shows their kids watch. And I said, so why do you have cable? <laughs> Some of the kids might not want to hear this in the room. Why do you have cable? And they said, you know, he's hemming and hawing. I know why, because he watches his own shows. You know, if we have, if in our society today, you know, basically between the internet and cable, it's an open sewer in our homes. Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness enough that we limit exposure to the dreck that surrounds us? If not, it impacts us. If we have a strong, ongoing desire for personal holiness, it will impact what we expose ourselves to. It will impact where we go sometimes. The restaurants we eat in, you know, it's funny, it was a little, I'll tell you this, I mean, I've never been there, this place called Hooters. I'm just going to throw it out there because it's, we all know, so I'm with an 82-year-old man who is a friend of mine, this is several years ago now, (laughs) and he says, I want to go to Hooters. And I'm like, you don't want to go to Hooters. He's seen all the commercials. He doesn't understand what it is. You don't want to go there. I want to go. Okay, fine. So we walk in. He walks in, and he walks up to the very front, and he realizes just like that, this is not a place for me. And he turns around, and he leaves. He says, yeah, we can't go here, you know? 82-year-old man. He was curious because of his ignorance, but when his ignorance became knowledge, his desire for righteousness kicked in, and it preserved him. Do we act like that ourselves? What do we limit to ourselves when it comes to the sins of the world? You know, if you, if you lie in slop, you're going to get filthy, all right? Uh, we don't want to do that. We want to we have a, a passionate desire for personal holiness as followers of Messiah Yeshua. And those who do shall be satisfied. Often, uh, 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 you know, wickedness uh, doesn't satisfy. It leads to more yearning. But if we seek God's holiness, God will satisfy us. He will satiate our passions and our interests in the proper way. Uh, Verse 7, happy are the merciful. Happy are the merciful. Here, people who demonstrate compassion to others. One of the things that I've really tried to work on, you know, many years ago, I mean, only people, I look around the room, I mean, really, maybe Rich might have known me years ago. I was a very aggressive business guy years and years ago. All right, pretty aggressive personality, Robin remembers it. You know, and one of the things I've had to learn is to chill. I have to develop compassion and mercy. We need that as believers in Yeshua. We need to truly have a compassion for others, not just in words, but in deeds, to truly seek to understand one another. And some of us are very complicated to understand. Some of us don't realize how complicated we are to understand, but, but some of us are very complicated for others to understand. We need to have compassion for others and pray that people will have compassion on us and to live lives open to all of that. Do we indeed demonstrate compassion to others? 
God has shown compassion to us. God has shown us mercy. We need to show others mercy so that we will be shown mercy ourselves. Verse 8, happy are the pure in heart. The pure in heart. People who make exalting the Lord the priority of their lives. There are some people that just say praise the Lord all the time. They just exalt God. All right? It's, it's interesting. I've noticed it through the years. Not everybody's verbal when it comes to that. But, but some people just do. They just love praising the Lord. All right? And, and, and Jim's lifting his hand again. Yes, because that's something Jim says all the time. All right? Isn't that neat? That's a neat thing. He's very verbal about it. Maybe you're quiet about it. Maybe, though, you don't even think about it. One characteristic we should have in our lives is a desire to praise the Lord, whether in word or in action, to point people toward the Lord. Praise God. When someone comes up and, and, uh, and, and you do something, do you give God credit? And not just like in the sports arena sense, you know, where people point, to, point up. It can almost be that, I suppose. It's become somewhat of a cliché. But do you give God the glory and the honor for things that go on in your life? It's like if you get a job, praise God. Genuinely praise the Lord for what he has done. God is always working on our behalf. God is always working on the behalf of his children to praise the Lord and exalt the Lord, to make that the priority of your life. It shows the people that do this shall see God. Now, we were in a study... um, Uh, Cindy's not here, Eric's mother. And she talks about blessings as a way to reveal God in her everyday life. When you recognize God in your everyday life as the one who is making your life move forward, you are seeing God. That's why when it says in the text, the pure in heart shall see God, is because they see him everywhere. And they see him moving and acting on their behalf. Do you have that kind of an attitude? I hope you do. Because it's wonderful to see all that God does. Blessed or happy are the peacemakers. People that just like to make peace among people. Seeking unity within community. Not all communities are unified. Do you seek unity in, among the people around you? On, on the job. Let's take a secular environment. Are you the one who refuses to uh, participate in the gossip and in the in the, uh, the, the breaking down of individuals' character and small little cluttered groups? Or are you the person that always has good things to say about everyone? Are you someone that tries to bring people together? If, are you the sort of person that when you notice dissonance between individuals, that you try to get them to smooth it out? Are you a peacemaker? Are you someone seeking unity and projecting peace among people? Those who do this, as it says, shall be called the sons of God. Our Messiah Yeshua brought peace, reconciliation between us and God through his shed blood. And then finally, Ashrei, blessed are those who have been persecuted. Happy are those who are persecuted. Help me understand this. Why should I be happy that I'm being persecuted? Those willing to stand up for God. Yeshua promises will be persecuted. It's what we see in verses 11 and 12. So what's the ashray? What's the happy? It means that you are, you are being a public testimony for God. It means that you're willing to take a stand for God despite opposition. Thank God in our environment, there is very little cost 
for, for, uh, for being a follower of Messiah Yeshua. Unless you're in a job situation where people want to, uh, you know, they want you, your boss wants you to lie or something, and you take a stand and you lose your job, all right? We don't have to worry about people coming in and, and busting out our doors and, and taking us, dragging us out and putting us in jail for what we believe. A lot, of, a lot of followers of Yeshua, though, in other parts of this world have that problem. You know, in China right now, which is, it's, it's amazing. There's so much good going on in China and in, in economics and such, although it's a little questionable. But anyway, I've heard that there's been a resurgence of persecution against believers in China. There's more freedom now in China in one sense. And I know that believers in China are doing a lot of really good things. But they've also started to raise their profile for Yeshua in their societies. And the government has responded by persecuting them. As followers of Messiah Yeshua, we need to be willing to stand for the Lord despite opposition. We need to be willing to make a public statement. That's why going and participating at the uh, festival, just being there is so important. That is presence evangelism, to use the term. That is us being present so people can talk with us. Or, if might occur, people get mad at us. But either way, we are there as a public testimony taking a stand for our Messiah, Yeshua. Messianic Jewish life, our faith, our lives lived out in the world, as it says in verses 11 and 12, will from time to time bring persecution. Is that okay with you? Are you all right with being persecuted? Are you all right with somebody kind of making fun of you, maybe at school or on the job, because you're a believer? You, you, you actually live out your faith. You don't participate in questionable conversations of an immoral manner. You actually don't cheat on your taxes. You actually work hard unto the Lord. You don't cheat on your homework and your schoolwork. You stand out in some way. Are you willing to be opposed? Are you willing to be persecuted? We need to expect persecution. That's what Yeshua promised us. We need to rejoice and keep an eternal perspective. When our mother and father reject us, God is our mother and our father. I remember when my father disowned me when I went to Moody, you know? Uh, I'm like, oh, that's difficult. <laughs> All right? I mean, he eventually came around. But stepping out from expectation can be painful. But stepping up to where God wants you to go is always the best thing in the world. We need to rejoice and be happy in what it means to follow God rather than men. Take a look at the last part, verses 13 through 15. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how shall it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown at and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand. So it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. All of us should desire to be light and salt 
Salt is interesting. It's a preservative. I love it in my salami because it preserves it while I hang it so that it becomes hard as a rock. Salt, our lives, salt, preservative in this world, a preservative for righteousness and for holiness. When we come together as a community, we come together to encourage one another. We come together to instruct one another. We come together to bind up wounds that we might have from the week that we've suffered, okay? Depending on the difficulties of our lives. But we go out of this place to be a preservative in the world. So that on our jobs, people know that we're believers and we can influence for Messiah. We can make a difference from him, for him in just the world we live in. In the events we participate in, like the festival or, or participating in the ribbon deal or just shopping at the local stores and being a good, decent customer. Anybody who works retail, you know what I'm talking about. There's some people out there that are annoying. I hope that's not you. When somebody does something you don't like in whatever venue you're in, are you godly in the way you seek correction? Or do you demand and are boastful and you get angry and you know. Besides salt, we're supposed to be light, spiritual illuminators. Do you light up a room? When you go into a room, do you light it up? I mean, do people, do people are they encouraged and excited when you walk into a room? Or do you walk into a room, all the, everything gets sucked out of the room? You know, people, people leave the room, you know? Are you a, a spiritual illuminator to encourage those around you? Because you're living out these characteristics, these godly ideal characteristics and, and attitude, something to think about for us. God needs us to be living these things out so that we can be an attractional testimony. An attractional testimony. What that means is that we then become this tractor-type beam. That in whatever environment we find ourselves, people will be drawn to us and drawn to our Messiah. I'm not talking here about, you know, handing out literature and tracts and forcing what we believe on people. There's a time to get in unique situations and do that. I have no problem with, uh, with us, uh, whether we did it corporately or individually, going and, and reaching out in some more, uh, uh, you know, as I always call it, making our, our interests an interest of other people kind of a way. But in the general day-to-day life, uh, in our general day-to-day lives, are we attractional? Do people really like what they see in us and are drawn to us, drawn to Yeshua because of us? It's our responsibility, each and every one of us, whether you're in junior high or elementary, high school, college, on the job, retired, wherever we find ourselves, to be living lives that are attractional. That beam, probably light, because sound doesn't work in space, that beam of light, the illumination of the Spirit of God in us, working and changing us into the image of Messiah Yeshua, which draws people to Yeshua. Which of the godly characteristics in uh, Matthew chapter 5 do you regularly exhibit in your life? Which ones do you regularly exhibit in your lives and which ones do you struggle to live out? 
Don't lie. You exhibit one or two, I'm sure, otherwise you wouldn't be in this community. And don't lie. You struggle with at least one or two, just like all of us. Nobody can be perfect in all things, but we should sure try. That's a whole other sermon. How is your life of Yeshua faith drawing people toward faith in Yeshua? How is your life of Yeshua faith drawing people toward faith in Yeshua? To be honest with you, as you are growing and developing as a believer and, and being more, I think, being more active within what it means to be part of a communal grouping of faith, that all of that will increase your ability to be attractional. If you are not growing in your personal Yeshua faith, you will not be attractional. People will just think you're like everybody else. And you're a religious hypocrite just like everybody else. Has anyone ever opposed you because of your messianic faith? Has anybody ever pushed back at you when you tried to take a stand, to stand up for God and to stand up for Messiah? If that hasn't happened in your life, maybe you're not really much of a public testimony. We need to be willing to stand up. We need people to be able to see that we indeed love God and are followers of Messiah. When's the last time you personally spoke with someone about the good news, the best horah of Messiah Yeshua? When's the last time you did that? If you haven't done it in a while, I encourage you to sign up for the Festival of Cultures. You won't be alone, but I guarantee you, you'll have plenty of opportunities to talk with people about your faith in Yeshua and what God has done in your life and who we are and all the rest of this stuff. We need to be willing to share our faith on the job, with our family members, with our friends. We need to be willing to be bold about who Yeshua is because fundamentally, people need to come into right relationship with God through Messiah Yeshua. And we have to play a part in that. So let's covenant before God this week to attract others to Yeshua through the godly characteristics of our lives. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and the challenge of it. I thank you, God, for the fact that through our faith in Messiah Yeshua, you are changing us. Through the work of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can indeed live lives that are attractional. We can indeed be poor in spirit, mourning in meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful both to others, knowing that you are merciful to us, being pure in heart, peacemakers among those around us, and indeed accept the fact that probably we'll be persecuted, God, for your sake. God, we thank you for the opportunity you have given us to know you through our faith in Yeshua and to live lives reflecting him. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.